Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. In 2012, I started writing my local news blog, Larry in Fishers, right here in Fishers, Indiana. That's about the same time Dan Domzik joined Current Publishing and became the editor of a weekly local newspaper, Current in Fishers. Now, Dan and I got to know each other just by covering the same stories for over a year. Then Dan joined the Fishers City Parks and Recreation Department staff. Well, Dan is preparing to move on in his career to downtown Indianapolis, so I invited Dan to join me and talk about his years of work in Fishers. I talked with Dan Domzik during the afternoon of Friday, March 29th. I'm at Fishers City Hall, and I'm with Dan Domzik. And Dan and I have known each other for over seven years. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Dan's career here at the City of Fishers. He's moving on and, and going on to another uh, workplace, so we're going to talk about all that. So, Dan, thanks for uh, taking the time to join me. No problem, Larry. Thanks for, for having me along. I think the favorite thing that you and I ever did was uh, what one or two times when we did the, the film podcast. Oh, yeah, those are always fun. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we I, I enjoy doing those. In fact, one of the ones you were on, I think, is still the most listened to. It's the one with oh. Indy. Indi, I wasn't sure if it was us or Indy oh, Film Indi Fest. Fest. <laughs> but they, me. <laughs> they most have listened to us before they got to it, unless they fast-forwarded, so at least they listen to us. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I was going to say that we had our favorite films of all time. You know, that was uh-huh. a big order. We got it done. But uh, and, yeah. and the other time, we, you, we, you and I did. I remember this very well. Uh, we had just found a water leak in my condo. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was almost a hazmat, you know, site. And then I, I was going to do this at the kitchen table at home, and lo and behold, we couldn't get to the kitchen table at home. So we found a way to make it work in my office. But you made me aware of a of a show on Netflix or a series called Flinttown, yeah, and I probably right. never, I would have never seen it if you hadn't pointed that out to me. Oh, wow. And it, uh, very compelling. It's probably still up there if you want to see it, or listen to the uh, film podcast is still up there. Well, Dan, I want to, st- I just want to go back through how you and I got to know each other sure. originally. Yeah. And that was in 2012. Yeah, that's right. And you had taken over as the editor of Current and Fishers. If mm-hmm. people who don't live in Fishers who might listen to this, that's a weekly uh, newspaper that everybody with a Fishers address receives in their mail every week on yep. Tuesday, I believe it is, most weeks. And you were covering the city of Fish, the town in those days, and I had just started writing this news blog, and, and we were the only two reporters that really covered Fishers all the time. I mean, other people would drop in and out, you know, sure. in other media, but at we least, were the only ones. At least government-wise. I, I feel like there's a couple efforts from uh, the star to kind of come in and do, I won't say slice-of-life stuff, but mm-hmm. um, I think um, at least certainly prior to maybe – uh, the referendum uh, that fall that would have yeah that would have been the fall 2012 yeah just me and you hanging out at, at town council meetings <laughs> well not only the town council meetings but there were a ton of other meetings about that referendum and that's really how we got to know each other hanging yeah. out at those meetings because we were the only two going to every one now, yeah, there's a couple citizens I think too that that at that time were were making appearances but. Yeah, we were we were hanging out at the press table. Yeah, and the other thing I remember the most is is that this referendum came up. I was barely aware that it was coming up, and I actually would read you because you would have a little more background on it. And 
for a while, nobody even knew how the wording was going to be. And oh, then we yeah. got the wording. It's like, this is the wording? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny because the two sides were always going up at each other, the two packs that were for or against, uh, you know, the one being a city, the other wanted to be a reorganized city with a powerful city council and a, and a, and a makeshift, really kind of a figurehead mayor and a city manager to run the place. A lot of surrounding states do sure. that. In Indiana, it's very rare. Even though state law allowed it, it went all the way to the state Supreme Court. We, I wasn't at the Supreme Court, but I did watch the video. And so mm -hmm. the, we, there were all kinds of legal imaginations going on. But the, the wording of that, if you look at the people who wanted the reorganized city, they said, state law requires us. We can't do anything about it. The people who wanted a city said, this is being done on purpose just to confuse people. But I don't know about you, Dan. I was really new, and not that many people even really knew who I was at that time, just starting up with my news blog. But people found me, and every now and then I'd get an out-of-town news organization that was trying to figure out the Fisher's referendum. Yeah. And how, the, you know, these two questions, what do they mean and what combinations of the yes yeah, and no do like what? If you wanted to be a, a second-class city, you had to know, I think there were, th were there three questions there were on three the ballot? There were, you you yeah. had to know to vote no, I think, on two of them. Uh, on one or two of them, and then yes on the third, if exactly. I remember. It was, it was a convoluted thing. Uh, and, and so I would get these questions from people. I would talk. I would, one person put me on a video, uh, and, and I tried to explain it to him. He said, you know, you've done the best you can. I still don't understand it. <laughs> I remember and, being at uh, the State House at, at Noblesville. Um, I think I was still wrapping up and writing some other stuff that night on election night. I I want to say I was actually getting some work done at the McDonald's on 116th and I-69, and I think you and I were texting back and forth we that, were, yeah. that, that results were coming in. And I got to the state house, and I want to say— Was it state house sorry, or the county? It was the county. county. Yeah, Noblesville it, County, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, up to the county building. The judicial building, they yeah, call it Yeah, Noblesville. Now. Yeah. And I think somebody from WIBC was like, uh, explain this, <laughs> what, what, what's going on here. And um, that was interesting. Uh, and it was interesting talking to some of the elected officials on the phone. And then, you know, there were two packs that were going at it over this whole thing. So well, I didn't go to Noblesville then. I chose to go to the uh, reorganize. That's the people who wanted to Ah, yeah, Kansas that's City. right. So I went to their little confab. Claude and Annie's. Claude and Annie's, which is now closed. But uh, I was at Claude and Annie's talking to people. They were very confident. They had most of the establishment behind them. They had the most money. I mean, you, that, those are all facts. So I'm there, and all of a sudden, Scott Faultless, the then town council president, long time, walked in, and he had lots of sources at the judicial center, the election office. And he just walked in and knew before anybody said, we lost. <laughs> He said, not only did we lose, we lost by a lot. And uh, so I talked to the, the head of the pack and talked to some other people and went back to, went back home. And then I called up someone that was with the city yes pack, the people who won. Yeah. And they were in Noblesville. Nah. And I, I was telling them congratulations. And the person I contacted said, well, we don't know. We're watching the results. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I just left the reorganized meeting. They have conceded, and you won. They didn't know they'd won. Yeah. But uh, I had the honor of telling them, I guess. But Because uh, what Scott Faultless found out was, well, he found it out before it was all projected on the screen there in Noblesville. It takes a little time to get that up. But uh, 
The other part of that, I'm, here's what I remember, Dan, about Election Day. On Election Day, I drove around to some of the polls. And as people were leaving the polls, it was a presidential election year, so there was a big turnout. I would ask people, I said, um, I'm just curious, did you vote on the town versus city? And they said, well, yeah, I did. I said, well, what, what did you want, a town? And one, one lady I remember said, I wanted to keep it a town. I think we're good with the town. Let's stay with the town. I said, how did you answer the questions? She told me how she answered the questions, and they would not have kept us a town. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think there was a lot of confusion, but I really do think that the second class city probably won because most people wanted it. But I do think there was a lot of confusion on top. I mean, that was mine was totally unscientific. It was just asking a few people as they walked out. Yeah, and just for people listening, it, to become a second class city, that's not a that's not a note on what kind of. Are we a good city or a bad oh, that's city? That's right. You know, I, that's from, right. From a statute perspective, <laughs> there's only one first class city in Indianapolis. The state of Indiana. That's mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Everybody else is second class. Yeah, but why are we a second and, class city? I finally had to explain. Well, it's just a legal thing, yeah. and it's Indianapolis can, is the only city in Indiana that qualifies for that. Second class only tells you the form of government you have. Of course, Jim Brainerd in, in uh, Carmel's going to that now. You know, yeah. when you have a uh, second class city. Uh, uh, the mayor gets to appoint the controller. Yeah, yeah. But the, the way Carmel was set up before, it was a clerk treasurer, and he'd had some clashes with his clerk treasurer that are rather well publicized. But I look back on that. I had no idea what I was getting into when mm-hmm. I when I started covering Fisher just as a as a volunteer thing, and and this uh, this all came up, and it, it passed kind of unexpectedly in my view. Were you a sure. little surprised too, or how, what did you think? Mm-hmm. It, probably, yeah. I, I would say a, a little bit surprised. Um, the, the points you already made earlier, I think there were th- some some circumstances that just made the the reorganization effort look uh, really strong, and um, they put up a good fight. I mean, they they had it together. It wasn't like there were, you know, that they were. Re, it wasn't like reorganize, the reorganized group was running around unorganized. They oh, no, were, they were organized. They were, they were on it. Um, so I, I did think that there, were, um, there was – it was an establishment versus not kind of clash. And I, you, yeah. I just think with the circumstances that they were, it was, it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and I think there are people on the other on on the city, on the city S side that were surprised too. Um, oh, they were. But I'll say one thing. I, you know, if you look at what those coalitions were, the reorganized coalition, which was very organized and well funded, was both basically the establishment Republican part, not entirely, but mostly. City S was a group of Democrats and Republicans who were upset with the establishment of the Republican Party. I mean, that's not a perfect view, but I think in general, that's how the groups uh, came down. Yeah, I think some of the members on uh, the the city side were also um, parties to a couple lawsuits uh, uh, along lines of was it guy annexation or oh, yes. was it it kind of goes back to or Geist, was it the yeah. or, or was it the first effort along the lines to even get the referendum going i can't remember which and i probably shouldn't commit to one of those but i felt like that that side had some people that were already really civically involved and stuff that they were 
that they really were in the tank for, and I think those lines just kind of held. No, and I think there were some you know, Geist United opposition people who were in City Yes. Not entirely, though. I mean, some were. Uh, I, Scott Fadness one time told me that when he was still a staff member with the city, even before he or the town, before he even became town manager, he said the, the most vicious kind of thing I ever experienced in the town of Fishers at that time was the Geist uh, annexation battle. Uh, that was, and that was that was before I think I was probably still early on in college. I didn't get to uh-huh. see that one up front. Well, I lived here, so I, I heard about it. I mean, I, I knew some people lived in Geist, but I uh, uh, I followed it through a newspaper which had been around for 100 years, the Noblesville Daily Ledger, mm. which got bought up by an outside entity and closed down uh, during the big problem with papers. That, that's another issue. We may get to that later, but I uh, but yeah, that was what he said. But I, I have to say, the referendum, as far as covering an event, I don't think anything's equal that in terms of what's happened in Fishers. Because and we were just talking about this at the Vietnam veteran event. We just was just uh, happened just before we record this. What I remember is that we all thought when that referendum passed in 2012 that the next municipal election would be in 2000. 15, and uh, any the city government would stand up in 2016. That's what everybody thought. Yeah, and there's some some state house action, and um, I remember kind of being told by people that were at the state house that no, we're we're going to see an election here coming mm-hmm. up imminently um, in a year ahead of time. And I kept on hearing about this, and I, I remember talking. Um, you know, and, and trying to get that confirmed, and no, that's not, it's not, it's not how it's going to be. And then and you and I had the same experience. Then one night, and then one night, you and I were standing in a certain room with a certain political leader, who I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but he made it clear that those that uh, rumors you were, you were the rumors you were hearing were correct. Yeah, uh, and that story, we, um, I remember breaking that news. Um, I got it confirmed by... County official, I think. Yeah, county official. Well, what happened, and you know, here's what I do. I mean, I'm a volunteer guy. When somebody's onto a story and they do it for a living, I kind of back off. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going to let Dan break that story. And you did it. It was a big story. Nobody else in media had that at the well, time. Thanks for the for, for the head start. Um, no, I... I we got that all confirmed and, and posted that. I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And yeah, it would have been a Tuesday because the night before would have been town council, and that made statewide. That mm-hmm. made statewide news. People mm-hmm. were were writing about that um, because you don't really hear a whole lot about you know municipalities that are going to be electing their first mayor and going through this kind of change. I think there was a certain novelty to it to, to other places throughout the state. And just kind of continued on an interesting thread of really big and I think really important stories for the community. True, and and uh, th- what ended up happening is there was a an election for a one year term. Right. Then there was an election the following year for for uh, four, four year, year terms, term. and I I remember writing a a piece about how this was really going to be a a, a a weight on the system, but having elections two years in a row, people started attacking me. 
saying, well, it's not going to cost that much more and all this. And I said, I'm not talking about the cost of the election. Okay, yeah. there's going to be an election in both years anyway. The, I'm talking about just the, the political system. And, you know, there is a political system which has to be funded. You have to have volunteers. You're know, running a campaign two years in a row is a real burden. And I know the people running for office were not real crazy about that. Uh, I think I kind of stayed away from I don't think I I deep dived too much after the the news broke. I'm sure I probably wrote some sort of follow up stuff on the the real policy wonkish in the weeds kind of things because I liked learning about that kind of stuff and I thought it was important um, with the the referenda and with the. Um, with the with the impending election, I and just kind of my viewpoint on the world coming out of college, I thought it was it, a it, it was it wasn't super hard to follow. It, it was something for a cub reporter that, that that you know you can kind of wrap your your mind around. But also, it, this stuff matters. The stuff in your community locally matters, and I I. I thought then and I, and I still feel that it matters that people understand how this all works um, so it, it was an interesting string of stories and coverage for Fishers that year I mean beyond the the political arena and um, you know the the changes that people voted for uh, you had the the um, planning around downtown redevelopment and kind of the formation of the nickel plate district. I remember being in council meetings and uh, listening to people talk about form-based codes and mm -hmm. uh, seeing early renderings and artist interpretations of what uh, a downtown district and Fishers could look like uh, after and going through re redevelopment. And it's, uncannily similar to, to what's kind of sprung up. Uh, so there's some stuff that was happening in 2012 and 2013 that um, you're still seeing the ramifications of today. It was just an interesting time to be writing about local government. And people talk about the city and the mayor and, and the development downtown. What a lot of people forget, and I bring this up whenever I get the chance, the the uh, the two first buildings that were built, the switch and the depot, were all put in place by the town council. Now Scott Fadness was the was the town manager, and he was the one who was uh, pushing that. But it, the decision was made by a seven member town council before way before we were a city. This whole development trend started at that time. Yeah, it is. Uh a very 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 interesting time to to be a reporter here mm -hmm. uh, i think in in that way it was uh kind of a blessing that i got to have this intro to this community in a time of transition in more ways than one yeah the, the fishers i knew when i moved here in 1991 where i lived in sunblust over by 100 near near 116th and alisville that general area and I take a look at the Fishers. Now, I mean, you couldn't even recognize there was a downtown in Fishers except for the railroad tracks. Yeah. And then shortly after I, I moved here, the, the, the town hall, which is now called City Hall, was built. And that started to, to give Fishers at least an idea that there's a downtown, there's a center to the city. It's not 
centrally located, but there's a center to the city itself, a downtown area. And it has really gone places, and there's more construction coming. Uh, you know, you got First Internet Bank, you got a hotel, you've got all this other development on both sides of 116th Street now. And it all started when we were a town and has just moved on as a city. But I think covering that initial uh, move, and I do remember talking to Tom Dickey, who was doing community mm-hmm. development at the time, and he's since moved on to the private sector. But uh, I asked him about the depot. What's that going to do to downtown? How's it going to look different? He said, oh, it's just the beginning. <laughs> he said, if that's just sitting there by itself, that's not part of the plan. And then the switch came pretty quickly after that and then other developments. So I guess I had a, a more long-term look at it, and I saw, well, you know, Fishers wants to be a place. And the mayor said this many times, and he wants to make Fishers a place, a, a, some identity, and, and that's beginning to happen. But after the development started, you and I were covering that, something changed. You left journalism and came to work for the city. I did. And essentially, as I understand it, and you explained it better, is that uh, the city decided to create a position that had not existed before and gave you a chance to basically create that. So to explain what sure. all went into that. So, so that would have been the summer of uh, 2013. And, uh, yeah, I think that first year of that, – that year of journalism kind of taught me a lot of things. Um, and I think by the end of it, I felt like – I liked journalism. I like writing. Uh, I like being a storyteller. But in that exact profession, I don't know if I loved it enough to to, to do it forever. So I, I felt at that point um, that I at least needed a break, that I needed to, to step away from being someone that had uh, a, a real journalism deadline every week, you put a paper together every week. Um, you're responsible for the first draft of history every week. Um, I felt like I needed to st- take a step back for a moment. And 23-year-old me was just like, I don't know uh, if I can do this until I retire, let alone until I'm 30, thinking <laughs> that 30 was so far away. Yeah. Um, I kind of look silly for that now. Um, and I was looking at job postings and things like that and i saw this position that had been posted uh with the town um it's the community engagement and volunteer coordinator and i looked at it and my first pass at it i'm just like i don't i don't don't know i don't know about that and then i looked at it again and it really just seemed like part of this job was all about just understanding the community and being out and being able to work with people. And uh, the other part of it was volunteer coordination, uh, which, you know, go, growing up um, as a part of the Scouts, you know, I knew a little bit about that or what, what it could look like, but I didn't ever professionally wade into that. But I felt like if that was something I was interested in, I at least had a leg up in that. If I needed to find someone who was getting something done in the community, Chances are I knew them already um, after being embedded in this community as a reporter. And then if I didn't know who they were, I bet I could find someone that could point me in the right direction. Um, And the position, I think, really kind of stemmed from what uh, Tony Elliott's position as 
uh, assistant to the town manager had kind of gone out and started doing, and that was just being really intentional about leaving the halls of government and going to where people were to talk with them about what's going on and share the town story. Um, because prior to that, the way I've, I've had it kind of told to me was that there wasn't a great strategy for, for going out and doing that kind of community engagement that, you know, people interacted with their local government, government mostly when they had a complaint or when they had to pay a bill. And both of those things are fine. That, that is the everyday life of being part of a community. Um, but if you want to do something more, if you want to weave real social fabric, you have to put the effort in. Uh, so I think that's kind of where the job stemmed from. And at the time, Tony was getting ready to move over. Um, I think he was named the interim parks director. And then, uh, and you know, he can tweet me uh, and, and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I think um, he had the job at that point, point. yeah. But by the by the time yeah. that I was looking at that job, he I think he had become he was well on his way to becoming parks director. And I thought about some more and I said, Yeah, I'll go ahead and give it a try and then I think you and I were hanging out at Wolfstock, the, the Humane Society fundraiser at the amphitheater and I think I said yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and apply for this. And you're like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I said, I think I said to you, do you think I should say something to Tony about it? And you're just like, yeah, you should definitely say something to Tony about it. Somewhere, and I've lost my phone. I've changed phones since then, but I had to store it on a phone. I had a picture of you and Tony talking that day yeah. when you went up to him and started talking about the job. I thought, it. That's a historical picture, and I didn't keep it. I'm just angry with myself. But, yeah, I'm, well, I was very encouraging. You know, I'm a former journalist who left journalism and went to work for the federal government. Uh, did that for 28 years before I retired. And uh, so I'm a big believer that journalism, because of everything you have to know and everything you need to do in that job, and all the different sorts of things you need to understand or learn to understand or know who would, could explain it to you, that that prepares you well for a lot of different things. And uh, I felt that when you told me about this job, I said, well, you, Dan, you got to go for this. If it sounds good to you, that you're, you, you, this would be a good job for you. And I think it. you can say uh, as you exit that it worked out well. You know, it was great advice. Yeah. Um, I went into it not, not knowing for sure what the future looked like for me. Um, at, at that point, I had only ever – one goal in mind for my career and that was to spend it exclusively writing mm -hmm. um, so to go to something where I wasn't just exclusively writing that it wasn't I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to talk to people and then I'm going to write and I'm mm -hmm. going to write until it's either dinner time or time for me to go to bed like mm -hmm. um, I hadn't contemplated a career outside of that so I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, and I think about six to eight months in, we had our first Keep Fishers Beautiful event, and we had about 100 volunteers out there for that, maybe a little less. It was around 100. Um, and I kind of looked around at what we were able to do and um, what we were able to organize as a community, and it, it, it clicked. And, oh. Well, it's now been five years, and it was probably one of the greatest decisions I've made professionally and for my career, uh, hands down. 
I think the volunteer bank, what you were a part of getting that started, I know there were a lot of people involved, but uh, you've always been heavily involved in getting the uh, banquet together for the volunteers oh, yeah. each year. And uh, I've uh, been a part of it some way or another. This, is, this was the third one this year. Yeah. And uh, you've been very instrumental in putting that together. So I think that's something not every city does. And Fishers has uh, gone out of its way to honor volunteers. And I think that's that's great. Appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of amazing stories out there. People that are just doing stuff on their own time for without pay, whatever, just because they have fun doing it or they they think it's the right thing to do. So, you know, at this last one, um, we there was uh, an award recipient named Russ Lopez who I actually met through Government Academy, which was one of the programs that uh, I I ran. It was my, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, I took that program over on my second day of work. I thought Tony was just sending me to kind of fill in for him or whatever. And yeah, no, no, Dan, it's, <laughs> it's, it's yours. <laughs> so I, uh, I took that program over and I met Russ uh, I've, met, I've met him a long time ago, and um, I had no idea that he was uh, volunteering for the police department and basically spending a ton of time every week just assessing all FPD's pool cars mm. to make sure that they're functional, that let's just say heaven forbid something bad happens and we need everything in the field that a police officer doesn't or gets in a reserve vehicle puts the key in and the car doesn't turn over and puts together the reports that detail all this stuff he's doing this because he found a way to help and he wanted to Mm. and i met him years ago and i had no idea that he was doing it and i think there were a couple other people that were that were surprised too, and I think there are stories like that everywhere. You know, you've uh, you've had a lot of programs. You've had the volunteer program, and that's that, that takes a, a certain talent. You know, when people raise their hand and say, "I want to volunteer," they want to make sure they're making a difference, and the people coordinating that have a lot to do with it. And I've actually done some. Um, of that work on a much smaller scale than you did years ago, and I know how difficult it is. So uh, I, I have to give you credit for that. But I want to ask you one last question about your career here in Fishers, working for the town, then the city. What's the favorite program you got a chance to run? Of all the things you've been involved with, uh, what's the one thing you could say, well, I really look back and I enjoyed doing that and it made a difference. Oh man, you're going to make me pick. <laughs> well, you don't have to no, yeah. you, you can pick more I, than I mean, one. So, in, you can in pick my roles cha- has changed a lot. Um so I kind of want to look at it in a few different ways. Um I think City Government Academy is um probably one of the things that I think is most important that um, Explain briefly yeah. what that is. So City Government Academy is a program through Parks and Recreation. It's a free 10-week course uh, that gives uh, Fishers residents an inside look at how their local government operates. So at the beginning of it all, uh, Mayor Fadness and his deputy mayors, uh, Leah McGrath and Elliot Hulkren, they give a, you know, a high-level look at how the whole organization operates and then maybe talk about a little bit of kind of like the – maybe the headline or banner items of whatever's going on, and then just opens the opens it up to questions. 
and it's amazing the amount of questions and access there is just in that that first session and then in the nine subsequent sessions we uh, spend time with departmental leaders that explain what their departments do um, to help make the city function we also include a night uh, uh, for HSE schools since they've just been this community pillar and they're an amazing partner so uh, it's been really cool kind of adding that component in uh, Dr. Borf uh, the superintendent basically does a miniature version that is like a state of the schools presentation just for this class he mm. does it twice a year for us and um, he's got 2,500 employees uh, and he takes time out for you know 20 30 people to learn just about what what his school district does and i think that is just amazing and then we also have a session uh that's uh, about city court with judge hankey um and people get to learn a lot about what his function is and the court's function is within the community but how that plugs into the state judicial system and just what the hierarchy looks like there course he brings out the uh vase full of cut up driver's licenses to show everybody and he particularly relishes in what happens to uh students that go through the hse school district that have their licenses temporary temporarily revoked uh spoiler i guess he um yeah <laughs> uh, he he'll suspend licenses for like two weeks and he will make those students ride the bus to school <laughs> and to to prove it, oh. to prove it, they have to take a selfie on on the bus oh and send gosh. it to um, one of his clerks or one of his court reporters. Um, and uh, he he always says, and the one thing that's that is it, the one thing in common with every single picture is that none of the kids are smiling. <laughs> you know, my daughters went K through twelve through HSC schools, and I don't. For those who don't have kids in school here. When you're an upperclassman at either Fishers or HSC, you just don't. Riding the bus is a stigma. Yeah. And so making them ride the bus, the, I mean, clearly the judge knows what he's doing here. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's making these kids pay a price, and they're going to remember that. Yeah, that, that they are. Uh, but the, the whole program kind of wraps the, the, the city staff um, story, it, their story and, and the organization's story together. Um, I just think that um, the more we do to learn about how things work, uh, the more that we spend um, spend time on being involved, the better. Um, I, I just think that that's crucial. Just being a reporter, being around the town, then the city and the schools for the last seven plus years, you got a feel for what happens behind the scenes. And I don't think everyone does. And that Citizens Academy is the closest thing. To, uh, to actually experiencing what happens, how the city runs day to day. And I think, would you say most people graduate feel like they've learned something important? I sure hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know a whole lot of other forms where if you have issues with, say, a decision that got made on an intersection improvement, where you can go to the class that's specifically about engineering and ask the engineering director or the assistant director uh, to their face, why did you make that, that decision? Can you tell us a little bit more why about it? And now we've given agency to residents and taxpayers to ask those kinds of important questions. 
and directly to the people who help make those decisions. And then we've given the opportunity for city staff to talk a little bit about what goes into those decisions and why they arrived at the choice that they made. Um, And I think that's really important. And I also think it's really kind of a privilege too for some staff to be able to tell that story that they they take pride in being able to say you're coming out to dpw tonight and we're going to have you walk the entire wastewater treatment plant and it's going to smell um but you're going to learn every bit about how that plant operates how much time we spend on it why we make the the choices that we make and then afterwards we're going to talk about everything from uh, facilities maintenance to snow plowing uh, and DPW you see those guys and and women out there all day um, taking care of our fields patching potholes all that stuff um, but that's a very specific kind of interaction and it kind of gives uh, DPW leaders the opportunity to kind of just tell their story, and I think they enjoy doing that. You know, we're already over time, but who cares? It's my podcast, right? <laughs> uh, I do want to ask you about your new job. Uh, you're moving on to another position. Just tell us about that. Sure. So uh, I'm going to AARP Indiana. Um, AARP has, uh, I'm sure everybody familiar with, with that organization. It's a national organization. Uh, they have offices in every state. Um, I'm going and joining the Indiana State team. Uh, it's a small, uh, tight-knit group that has a lot of responsibility um, throughout the entire state. They have programs all the way up to Gary, all the way down to Evansville, and they're active at the state house as well. Uh, so it's going to be my job to kind of go in and uh, help out with their volunteer program and help out with communications. So I'm getting to uh, kind of take what I learned uh, kind of through the School of Hard Knocks with volunteer management um, and just having to, to, tr- to, to learn that by doing. Also uh, learn through uh, some of the other team members that we were able to bring on at the Parks and Recreation staff, the, the things that they had been successful in volunteer management and um, take what I learned from my peers. So there's one person in mind, uh, Laura Holt, who came on board last year the Parks and Recreation Department that did a fantastic job that I got to learn so much from. Um, Combined what I learned from her, combined what I learned just trying to get out, get people to come out and mulch and help make all of our our programs big and small happen. I get to put that knowledge to work. Um, And then uh, I also get to flex my um, my writing skills and my digital media production s- skills that I've kind of set, uh, set, set on the shelf since college um, and help out with communications. So uh, there's just, it's just an unbelievable opportunity and, and, and leaving is a, a bittersweet uh, kind of thing for me. This is a, <laughs> this community be, is all I know. That's uh, true. You've lived, I think uh, once you left Butler, I think this was your first job, wasn't it? Or am I wrong about that? No, that's my first job. Okay. So, so you've worked in Fishers really since you left college. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you one thing. Even though you don't live in Fishers, that's no secret. You live on the north side of Indianapolis. You'll get that wonderful privilege of commuting downtown <laughs> and back. Now, you, will you take the red line once it's started? I don't know. <laughs> Something to think about. Uh, well, I think um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, I 
I rent, so I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go <laughs> after my, my lease is up. Sure. Um, so it, it could be an option in my future. Well, we'll, we'll see. Well, Dan, you made a contribution to Fishers in a couple of different ways as a journalist and as a, an employee of the city and got to know a lot of people here through your volu- work, you know, make, working with volunteers, just, just everything you do. And uh, I think everybody here is going to be sorry to see you go, but we wish you well. And I know AARP is an important organization. I'm sure you'll be an asset there. So, Thanks and, for the kind and, words, Larry, and, and thanks for all you did to help me out uh, as a cub reporter trying to, to figure it out and um, being a friend and uh, being somebody that was uh, being the drum for all things Fishers throughout the years. Um, well, I think we figured things out together most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was not so much one of us telling the other. Uh, now that I'm uh, I'm not a reporter, uh, I guess one of my uh, favorite things to think about and just, I guess it's, I don't know if I'd call it a hobby, but just generally media literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, the The fact that you're out here, Every week, you put, you were just telling me the other day that you posted four podcasts for an election in a That's single right. day. That's right. Um, you are being the drum for local journalism when it's in a really, really tough spot and proving that there's an audience for it. There is an audience. Um, I'll say that. Yeah, there's no way to make money on it, but there's an audience. Well, well, <laughs> I know you can't have everything, right, Dan? Um, I mean – We've got The Current, we've got you, um, and I I think IBJ's got great, great coverage, but I think uh, with their North of 96 stuff, uh, but you've been a constant since before I showed up here for this beat, and uh, it's just been awesome working with you. Well, thanks, and good luck to you. I know you'll be great there, and I hope that we can maybe catch up, have lunch downtown every now and then, and see what's going on. Yeah, sounds great. Dan, it's great to talk to you. Good luck to you. Thanks so much, Larry. My thanks to Dan Domsick for taking a few minutes to reminisce about his years of working at Fishers, and I wish Dan well as he moves on in his career. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.